Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a MAR Recovery Resources production from MAR Addiction Treatment Center. I'm Matt Shedd. Matt R. was ready to end his life, or so he thought. But the experience he had at MAR and the relationships that he built there allowed him to take another path. This is the, uh, the very interesting thing about addicts and alcoholics. And sad to say, but the denial is part of the disease that runs rampant in someone that is actively using, which I was, you know, again at the time. I came back to Mar and had a team of counselors in an office with me, and they asked me point blank, Matt, how bad is it? And I told them straight up, I had the rope around my neck and the gun in my mouth, and I couldn't go through with it, and that's why I'm here right now. And they said, how long ago was this? And I said, this was three days ago. And they said, okay, do you want help? And I said, absolutely, that's why I'm here. They said, will you do whatever it takes, whatever we suggest? And I said, yes, I will. And they said, you need to go to detox right now. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. That seems like a little bit too much, which is absolutely baffling. I had just told them that I had the rope around my neck and the gun in my mouth, and I was that miserable, and yet... I felt like going to detox was an overkill and that that was a little bit more help than I required, which is the insanity of the disease. Is that literally true? You literally had a... That is absolutely 100% literally true. A rope around your neck and a gun in your mouth? I had the rope around my neck and was standing on a chair in my kitchen and had a black pump... 12-gauge shotgun in my mouth. And the thing that kept me alive, the reason I couldn't pull the trigger is because I thought about my mom and my little sister and my dad. And I knew that it would be devastating to them. So for the first time in my life in a long time, I thought about somebody else. And the first time I came to treatment, Like, I was broken, and I think I really wanted to save my marriage. And the second time I got sober, I wanted to save my life. I wanted to live, and that was the difference. Um, And we all have our journey, and we all have our story, and, and we all have our bottom. I mean, those of us that recover hit a bottom sufficient to recover. And that can look very different for all of us. Um, and whatever the individual's bottom is, like, it's enough. You know, basically, we all get to some point of hopelessness. And if you feel hopeless, then you might actually be in a better spot than you realize. Because until you get hopeless in one form or another, For me, until I got hopeless, I wasn't going to change. Like if the pain is greater than the pleasure, for long enough, eventually you will do something else. Question is, how long do you want to wait? So let's back up. What you just described, that happened after you had already gone through Mar and then left and relapsed. 
tell us about what got you into Mar in the first place and laid the foundation for you to come back and ask for help. So I was, I came in in 2013 and, you know, it's, when I came to Mar, I was married and um, I married a girl that I went to high school with. Ten years later, we bumped into each other at a bar on a St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. And we wound up getting married three years later after that. And um, our addiction got out of control. She was my best friend and my using buddy, and we drank like like there was no tomorrow. And uh, somehow managed to continue to show up for work and pay bills for several years and until we didn't. Um, and that's the progression, right? Like it will get worse. And we tried to stop, and we knew we needed to stop, and we would switch from one thing to another, um, and we would have brief periods of of not using or drinking, but they just never lasted. We always wound up back in the same spot, and we had an incident where, you know, we needed to – it was time to go to get some help, and I think that I had – known that and welcomed the idea for a long time. And uh, we both went to detox at different times in different locations. And then uh, we both went to treatment at different locations at the same time. And, you know, I came to Mar, which was absolutely terrifying at the time. Like I was in detox and I knew I was going straight to this place called Mar that I had, you know, I'd never been to treatment before. I knew I was in a horrible spot in my life. I knew I couldn't fix it because I'd tried for years. And, you know, I can remember one of, I can remember getting picked up from detox by, uh, one of the Mar staff, whose name is Todd, and he drove me to Mar, and I just started crying on in the way over in the van and was talking about how I ruined my life and was talking about how my wife was in treatment and, you know, and that this was not at all what I had pictured for myself, and it had gotten way out of hand, and I didn't know what to do. And, and I showed up at Mar Broken, and... Um, scared to death, had no idea what I was getting myself into and can remember I got here on a Friday and then, you know, went through one day at Mar of, of groups and kind of, you know, just kind of getting situated. Everybody at Mar was very accommodating and relaxed in the sense of they just kind of let me get here and, and, settle in at my own pace. They weren't pushy. They weren't um, authoritative. They weren't rude or headstrong. They were just kind of welcoming, and um, that was exactly what I needed. So going to the apartment, coming in on a Friday, and then going to the apartment where, you know, I'm staying with a a few other guys, I can remember going out on the front porch or the back porch of the apartment smoking cigarettes and having this overwhelming feeling of anxiety, like, 
I'm not going to be able to do this. I, I think I'm going to leave like tonight. And something inside of me said that out loud to another guy that came out on the porch, one of my uh, apartment buddies, one of my community members. I told him, I'm like, man, I don't think I can do this. I think I'm going to have to leave. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it. He's like, that's totally normal. I felt exactly the same way. Everybody feels like that when they get here. You don't have to leave. You certainly can. Like, I'll understand. But if you stay, things are going to get a lot better. What counselors were in the room when you had that, when you came back? Um, Matt, Ashley, Todd, Paul. I think those four were there. Can we let's go through those four counselors and if you could kind of describe yeah what what are some memories that that come to mind in terms of your relationship with those guys and how you saw yourself changing and they were there to kind of help you along that journey. I'll talk about Matt cuz this is the first one that I had uh, an experience with. I came in on a Friday, and Friday afternoon when we were all leaving the treatment, we were outside getting in cars ready to go back to the apartment. And I think that I was just really glad to be out of detox at that point, although I was terrified there was some, like, thank goodness, some normalcy coming. And Matt came outside, and he's like, he's like, hey, I'm really glad you're here. Do me a favor. If you decide to leave this weekend, don't take any of these guys with you. And that, to me, was a shocker. And I think it helped put in perspective, like, I was by no means out of the woods yet. And, like, you know, tread lightly. And uh, there's other people's lives at stake, not just your own. Um, which I, you know, it caught me a little off guard at that moment today, you know, it's just one of those things that's like shows me how good they are at their job to be able to recognize that and call it out. Um, true care for, you know, the people that are here that they're trying to help. Um, and that's a description to Matt. He'll shoot you straight, point blank. Um, there's no BS he doesn't sugarcoat things, and I need people like that in my life. Like, give it to me straight. I can, you know, I can handle it. Like, tell it, tell it how it is. Tell it how you see it. I may or may not agree, but at least if you tell me, I have an opportunity to look at it. Mm -hmm. And then with Ashley, I can remember my very first, that Friday night, we went to um, an AA meeting. And it was right down the street from the apartment, so it was a men's meeting, a lot of guys there. And I'm fresh out of detox again, you know, Friday night. <clears throat> and I'm standing outside of the meeting smoking a cigarette afterwards, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get back to the apartment, which is, you know, always a, a fun chore. <laughs> and... Ashley was just like this. I had, I had no idea that he was even affiliated with Mar, and he was standing there next to me, leaning up against this brick pillar outside of the church and just seemed like a very calm and laid-back individual, you know, which 
was attractive to me because I was, you know, not doing well. And calm is good when you're not doing well. And he looks over at me and he's like, hey, man, how's it going? And I was like, not that good. I just got out of detox and I really don't know what I'm doing here. And he's like, yeah, what are you, what are you coming off of? What'd you go to detox for? And I was like, opiates and cocaine and alcohol. And he's like, hmm, that sounds like quite the combination. And I said, yeah, it's, it's uh, not easy right now. And he said, yeah, what is it still kind of sticking to you a little bit? And I said, yeah, it is. He said, you can't quite shake it. And I said, no, I can't. And he's like, I've been there before. I know what that feels like. And uh, in that moment together, to have somebody else understand so that I didn't feel so alone was, uh, was powerful. And I'll never forget that either. So that was my first uh, two interactions with two of the counselors here at MAR. Um, <clears throat> and then Todd, I told you about, picked me up from detox and, uh, Todd basically was, was a good listener. And, uh, you know, he just, I told him everything that was going on with me and my wife at the time. And I was crying and he said, you know, he said, that's, that's a lot. That sounds like a, a heck of a lot. And he just kind of. He just kind of held that spot in time and, and let me go through the feelings and the emotions that I was going through without trying to fix it and without trying to change it. Um, you know, he just let me go through it at my own rate and my own way, which was, you know, difficult but awesome. I mean, I think so many times the tendency is to want to help people stop crying. And I think that tears are healing and are necessary and that, you know, crying is not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of times it's a really good thing. And to allow that to happen is very important. Um, and I think that that's missed at a lot of places that want to quickly throw out solution or quickly make you feel better instead of allowing you to work through to where you can truly recover. Um, and then Paul, uh, last but not least, I'll never forget this, when my wife at the time was um, asked to leave treatment for, for failing a drug test, um, Matt notified me. Matt and I had a very close relationship. He was my house manager in my community. And Ashley would come and sit in on those meetings. And uh, Matt notified me, and then he had, um, I guess, uh, he had something else scheduled. And so I went and I sat with Paul. And again, Paul just let me cry. I mean, there was really nothing nothing else I could do. Um, Paul was also my primary counselor. And so he got to see me day to day on the ups and downs. And it's amazing how Paul 
would recap things from weeks or months ago and tie it in to whatever I was, you know, going through at that time. And it's like, man, this guy is listening. He is attentive and he cares. And uh, it wasn't any BS counselor tactics. It was straight up one-on-one. Hey, man, I'm here for you. You know, I'll do anything I can in my power to help you. As long as you're willing to help yourself, I'll do anything I can to help you. And in the beginning, I wasn't even capable of helping myself. Like, they encouraged me and they carried me until I could start to stand up and take a little step and then another little step until eventually I was walking around. It's a slow process. Um, and it's not easy. You know, I'm not going to – it actually sometimes it, ha- it gets harder before it gets better. It gets darker before the light comes out. Um, And that's okay, you know? That's okay. You have any memories of Doug? Doug uh, was my... Monday nights, we did a spiritual life group, and Doug was the leader of my spiritual life group, which was at another location off-site. It was actually at a church, which I hadn't been back to church since I was uh, 15 or 16 when... You know, I felt like everyone was hypocritical and stuck my nose up in the air and probably my middle finger, too, and Mm -hmm. walked away from the church. Um, So to be back in a church sitting there in a a room with Doug, you know, facilitating the group and some volunteers and my apartment community members— and I can remember him starting to talk about—asking what spiritual principle— are you struggling with? And uh, to start to learn about things like honesty and hope and courage and uh, brotherly love and service and, and all these things and get to listen to other guys share what they were struggling with made it easier for me to open up and share what I was struggling with. And Doug did a great job of facilitating that in our spiritual life group Um he was always very, very upbeat, up-tempo, smiling, laughing. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have this, you know, there's this feeling that treatment is going to be all down and such a bummer, and that just wasn't the case. Like going to the lake and playing volleyball, I can remember laughing like deep in my stomach, and then all of a sudden it hit me like, oh, my God, I'm having fun right now (laughs) in recovery without anything else. Like I'm sober, and I'm laughing hysterically with these guys playing volleyball, having the time of my life, and that right there was like a spiritual experience for me. I was like, oh, my God, I did not think this was possible, and here it is happening. And as simple as something as playing volleyball for me was like a huge game changer. You know, and Doug's always laughing, smiling. He'll throw a zinger out there from time to time. His memory is incredible. Yeah, it really is. He can remember just about every person that's ever been through here in, you know, decades, which is fascinating, and things about their family and um, sports statistics, like you name it, the guy is 
he's one in a million, just like every one of us, but he's he's something special, that's for sure. You know, coming to Mar, um, going through feeling school, getting going through the different assignments, which, you know, were difficult, but were absolutely a blessing. What it did was it... It allowed me to start to be vulnerable and talk about my life and my past and my present and um, all my experiences that I was so ashamed of and felt so much guilt for. And then have other guys um, share their stories with me. And it wasn't so much the war stories of, you know, running and gunning and drinking and drugging. It was more the stories of the ways that we've negatively affected our family members and the ways that we've, you know, negatively affected our lives and the feelings that went along with that. And when you start to open up and share what's in your heart with those that are around you, more so in the apartment than actually in the treatment setting, other than the assignments, um, you can't help but get close to one another. And, um, you know, I'm absolutely still friends with some of the people that I went through Mar with, and those bonds are stronger than... You go through an experience like, like... we went through and you can't help but have a deep connection because you get to know one another so deeply and it's it's a wonderful gift if you're willing to take the risk and and open up um, which did not happen quickly for me and and does not happen quickly for a lot of people but the cool thing is is that you know I've been sober now for over five years, and there is, I'm married to a woman now who's been sober for over six years, and there is, um, there's people that still come to Mar, I'm still connected at Mar, I come on Saturday mornings and, uh, you know, worked here for a little while, and, um, volunteer here, and, and I found, I feel like, it's a wonderful place to stay connected to because there's absolutely good things happen here. And uh, there's guys that have 30 years that were that came through Mara's clients long before me that still come here. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't say something about what type of place it is, like none of us have to come here. We want to come here. We want to give back because it's given us so much. And there's not a lot of other treatment centers out there. Treatment team meetings, they sit down together every week around a table um, and discuss each and every client one by one and how they feel that the individual is doing and how they can best meet his needs. And, um, and sometimes they're not sure and they're not afraid to say that and they will pray about it, you know, and individually, um, and they'll revisit it. Um, it's not like everybody's got this. Let's put it this way. I've worked for other treatment centers and I've had the opportunity to sit in treatment team meetings as a staff member and they, were not organized in the same fashion at all. So the ability to kind of get a look behind the curtains 
um, Atmar as well as other facilities. It's by none, uh, it's bar none, hands down, you know, it's authentic and it's real and it's powerful and they're talented and they know what they're doing, putting families back together and helping people get on their feet and, and on their way in, in recovery if, if they want to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even if they don't, there's people that show up here that have absolutely zero interest in getting sober whatsoever, whether they're sent here by the courts or their parents or whoever. Um, and a lot of them actually wind up getting sober and staying sober, which if that's not a testament to the counseling skills here, then I don't know what is. There's no, you know, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing forced. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very open to all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not religious by any means. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they they do require that you go to church on Sunday with your community. They don't tell you where to go. You go to any church in the freaking state. Mm-hmm. Um, or synagogue sometimes. Or synagogue. Yeah, and, uh, hasn't that happened before too? As a they... matter of fact, in three quarters, which is um, what I chose to do after Mm-hmm. The first 90 days, my roommate was so against church that he said, is there anything else I can do? And they said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, how about I would like to go to a Buddhist temple and um, check out meditation. And they're like, as long as you don't go alone, take, you know, take a buddy and that's cool. And he asked me if I'd go with him and... I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And um, we went to this Buddhist temple for an hour-long beginner's meditation at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I'll never forget it because it changed my life. Meditation is a huge part of my recovery today due to that. I never realized how fast my mind moves until I was guided through the process in an hour of how to slow it down and recognize thoughts. And I left there calmer and happier, and it lasted for about three days. And again, I had this awakening of, oh my God, this really works. There's actually something to this. It's not a bunch of hocus pocus. Yeah. And I meditate on a regular basis now. And it is a huge part of my program and my recovery. And my wife's as well. And a lot of other people that I'm very close to today. Matter of fact, we have a Monday night spiritual life group that I participate in that is kind of like a spinoff, something that I got to experience here at Mar, where myself and some other very close-knit uh, people I've met in the rooms of, of 12-step recovery get together and talk about what spiritual principle we're struggling with and what we're struggling with in our life, whether they have a child going through addiction, an issue with work, losing a job, getting a job, having a child, uh, family relationship struggles, you name it. And we're just a group of guys trying to do life together. And we talk about what 
if we've had experience, what worked and what didn't work that you may want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what it's all about. And I learned to begin to do that at Mar. And it still goes on today, many years later. So four months in to your time here, you leave. Can you talk a little bit more about that, what that involved? My wife at the time got thrown out of treatment in my fourth month at Mar. Um, She was obviously not... Mm, how do I put this? Maybe just not ready or whatever the case may be. And so I left treatment at four months with the idea and the intention that I was going to go save her. Mm. And I was warned by the director of the program and some of the counselors that it was not a good idea and that it was not going to end well. And they were 100% right. As a matter of fact, it almost killed me, and it absolutely did kill her. She is no longer with us today. So when I say that this disease is, um, you know, a matter of life and death, I absolutely know firsthand that that is true not only for others but also for me because you know I have been revived before I have been I have overdosed um you know I've been I've been to jail before like there wasn't a whole lot left for me like if I kept going the way I was going I pretty much knew what that was going to look like. You know, I got to a point where basically I didn't want to go on living anymore, but um, I couldn't go through with that. And so I came crawling back and asked for help. That's it for part one of Matt's story. We are going to release part two next week. And in that section, he'll go into how he got back into recovery, how he stayed in recovery, and also how things unfolded with his wife. Um, It's really powerful. Please come back and join us. My name is Matt Shedd. This is Stories of Recovery. Our executive producer is David Tate. Angela Edmonds co-produces the show. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.